Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Histories of the Unexpected, the show in which we demonstrate that everything, simply everything you can possibly think of, has its own history. Like monkeys, armpits, and blades. Ooh. Oh, I don't know who came. I don't know who comes up with these, Sam Willis. I don't know who comes <laughs> up with them. Or infection, the section, or maybe even the C-section. And in homage to President Macron, the election. Uh, we oh, could also is. think about projection, reflection, and rejection. We all get rejected from one thing or another at some point in our lives. Rejected from a seat on the board, a business deal, peace in our time, unrequited love, or turned down from a job. Mm, very good. Very good. We should do all of those. However, for the moment, we will be following the links in our minds as we come across them, explaining very carefully indeed how those histories link together in unexpected ways. Who knew, for example, Sam Willis, who knew that the history of hunger is in fact all about the history of free school meals. Think Maggie Thatcher, Milk Snatcher, also Jamie Oliver and Marcus Rashford. It's also about Che Guevara's motorcycle diaries and famine and ancient manuscripts of Timbuktu. It's about hungry ghosts and hunger strikes in Northern Ireland during the Troubles. Who knew? Or who knew that the history of staircases is in fact all about medieval castles, Victorian houses, the development and absence of taxonomy of staircases, including spiral stairs. It's about Sherlock Holmes and the Hound of the Baskervilles by Conan Doyle. It's also all about the fabulous tulip staircase at the Queen's House in Greenwich. Who knew? All wonderful stuff, James. As ever, I particularly would like to do the history of monkeys. I think that would be... <laughs> of course you tremendous. would. We've really enjoyed doing the history of various animals, haven't we, in our time? Um, and our history of sharks is one of the uh, most downloaded of our episodes. So do please check out the history of sharks. Um, bees was also a very good one. Anyway, um, I, I'd, I'd like, to do, I'd like do. to do bugs. Oh, yeah, just general bugs. Bugs. Bed bugs. I, I want to write about bed bugs. Uh, my mum was telling me a story about a woman who had a bug in a friend of hers who had a bug in her ear, and it was it was some kind of. Um, uh, insect had flown into her ear and then it, the skin had grown over it and it was there and um, she was trying to tell everyone there was a problem, there was a problem they kept on giving her eardrops and antibiotics and in the end they had to go in and uh, surgically remove the bug which had embedded itself inside her ear Oh my god, I want to do I want to do the history of, that's terrible but I want to do the history of, of swans I was out with 
with my Ooh, wife that's the other really evening. That's a really good one. For, I w- but I was out. I w- the reason I want to do it is I was out for a walk the other evening around the quay in Exeter and was going over a bridge that has these sort of um, cables on it. And there were two swans in the middle of the footpath, one of which mm. was lying on the floor. Uh, just completely out cold. Another mm. one was sort of wobbling around as if it was sort of drunk, and the two of them had flown into those cables, and I think one of them no. had come. Oh, it was awful. It was so upsetting. And you know, swans mate for life, and it seemed mm. that one had sort of been killed outright, and the other one was sort of there, just sort of looking over it, sort of, you know, didn't know what hovering to do. around, didn't know what to do. Ooh. It sort of mate had sort of had, had gone. And, I, and, and as I was walking to the train station this morning, I think I saw that same lonely swan wandering no. along the footpath. So I want to do an homage to, not only to Macron, uh, and well done President Macron for your superb victory, um, but I also want to do something on swans and bugs. Yeah, or mate, mating, I think. Mate, oh, interesting. Mating would be great. Mm, yeah. As you can probably tell, James and I have not actually spoken to each other for a couple of weeks. We've been on a holiday and so we've just got loads of ideas to share and that may or may not make good listening. But let's get back to the topic uh, in question today. Let me uh, say of my fellow presenter, if history were a building, a magnificent 1930s high rise in New York or a Victorian slum in London full of thieves and prostitutes, this man, yes, this man here would be nothing less than the corridors linking the rooms in that building together, drawing links from unexpected inhabitants to unexpected inhabitant, allowing that maze of the past to be navigated and made sense of, and also providing a handy escape route should a fire grip that building, forcing everyone to flee via his corridors of research. He is Professor Extraordinaire of Early Modern British History at Plymouth University. Here's James Daybell. Hello, James. Hello, Sam. I quite like the idea of myself being a slum tenement, (laughs) uh, you know, with with sort of connective tissues. Well, you may well be wondering who is that unattributed voice so ably helping Daybell co-pilot this very episode. Well, let's just say that if he were a corridor-related historian, he'd be the very passageway to the past, the connecting chamber to the hallowed hall of history, the book-lined walkway to the vestibule of knowledge, the historical circuit that joins the history of everything that ever had a history. You are lucky, lucky people to have access to the corridors of his mind. Yes, you've guessed it. It's your friend and mine. It's the famous historical adventurer, Dr Sam Willis. Hello, Sam. Hello, everyone, James. That was tremendous. It was good, wasn't it? People are lucky. They've got access to your mind, Sam. (laughs) I, I feel lucky every time I speak to you. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're doing corridors, guys. We're doing corridors. Um, not uh, not tongue-in-cheek compliments. We could do that another time. We are doing the history of corridors. We're doing that because um, the word corridor keeps popping up in the news in relation to the war in Ukraine and um, the need for humanitarian corridors allowing people to flee the war-torn country to safety. And James and I thought uh, that it would be a tremendous topic to uh, talk about and I I began thinking about this just in terms of um, parts of the world uh, spaces between countries as being seen as important corridors immediately made me think of my work on the Silk Road and the way you have these transnational corridors uh, which allow trade the passage of religion the passage of ideas over time made us a much more interconnected world and that that interconnection goes much further than you might think there's a a really interesting kind of sub history uh of 
trade routes and trade corridors and it's often populated by archaeologists who suddenly pop up and find something i've read something fantastic about this in um oman um uh, fairly recently and they found evidence of really really ancient trade far more ancient thousands and thousands of years ago far more ancient than they ever suspected at a time when they thought the these um, very early persian cities uh, were living in very much isolation from each other but the archaeological discoveries proved w- without any shadow of a doubt that they simply were not that there was exchange of goods certainly and we also know that where goods go then ideas go uh, religions go all sorts of interesting things happen so there's a um although i've talked about the silk road before it's worth pointing out that there are whole a whole school of history of people searching different transnational trade corridors where people uh, people and ideas travelled and um i'd certainly like to do more of that and be really interested particularly in how that works across deserts across jungles um it certainly does i've spent much of my life focusing on how things like this happen by sea um but it's a tr- the link between the passage of goods and ideas and awkward geography that i think is particularly interesting Oh, love that, Sam. I love that idea of sort of corridors of knowledge. I'm going to talk a little bit about that when when we come to my little bit. For me, corridors was, was again, it was spurred by this idea of, of Ukrainian humanitarian corridors. And we're seeing in the, the news today, and we're recording this on the 26th of April, Tuesday, the 26th of April, 2022 and Mariupol is still under siege large numbers of civilians trapped in bunkers under the steelworks there and and this is really what's prompted us to think about the exploration of the history of corridors and these are really demilitarized zones they're about the sort of transit of humanitarian aid it's about getting refugees out of particular regions you can think about this the history of this you know you can trace it back to the Syrian war and and beyond you know it has a really sort of deep uh, and long history. Uh, The United Nations Safe Areas is connected to this. These were humanitarian corridors established in 1993 in Bosnia and Herzegovina during the the Bosnian War. Uh, So it's an attempt by the UN to get people out safely. There's a brilliant project that I came across funded by uh, the European Union's Asylum Migration and Integration Fund, uh, which is studying the humanitarian corridors, a sort of model that they're trying to evaluate and de- or develop and evaluate and then sort of scale up around Europe so that Europe can intervene in particular areas around the world. I definitely check that out. Um, also, I was reading Roger Luckhurst's book on corridors, which is absolutely fascinating. If you haven't, if you haven't read it, you should all go out and read it, and it's brilliant because. Um, yeah, I think there's a there's a really interesting history of the corridor in terms of architecture. There's a prehistory mm. of the corridor, which is all about passageways and galleries and walkways. And then the corridor emerges towards the end of the 17th into the 18th century in elite buildings. So rather than there being a sort of series of chambers through which you would go, suddenly you have these uh, basically functionless 
corridors that are literally connecting different rooms together and they're hierarchical you can see that in in places like Blenheim Palace which I'll talk about you can then see it being picked up by the Victorians within ordinary homes and a way of demarcating family and servants you can see it being used in places like hospitals and universities and indeed in prisons where corridors are really important in order to signal power and communication if you think about Foucault's panopticon this idea of prisons where everyone is watched the corridors become a way of policing people there's also a translation of this in the post-world war ii period which is around the sort of social reformist housing. And you think here the sort of the high-rise flats built on corridors where people are supposed to interact. And then, you know, post-1960s, there's a sort of a, what, what Luckhurst describes as an anti-corridic um, turn. So people are moving away from corridors and much more into open spaces. And corridors are much more... Um, architectural features that let in light um, and they're not they're not about the sort of connective tissue but for me I think my whole historical career has been shaped by corridors Sam Willis and this takes me back to doing my PhD at the University of Reading and I did a PhD in history and English on Tudor women letter writers and I was in a building in the faculty of letters and this building was like two horseshoes uh, joined together. And, or no, it was like one giant horseshoe. That was it. It was one giant horseshoe with a big staircase and then these long corridors. And on one side of the horseshoe was the history department. And on the other side of the horseshoe was the English department. And so you could interact really well. And when the co where the corridors joined... There was a, a tea room or somewhere where everyone at every lunchtime would sort of meet and talk about ideas. And that's a way in which universities really embrace the idea of the corridors as a sort of intellectual um, forum, a way of getting people to get together and talk about ideas. So there could be a whole history of university corridors. Yeah, well, the the, ar the architecture of um, information exchange. Ooh, love it, love it. I'd, that... I'd, I'd, I mean, I, I came across a really interesting story, and that's actually to do with corridors and diplomacy, mm. where you've got um, people, um, you know, doing norm their normal diplomacy, whether it's the UN sort of significant meetings and stuff, but actually all of the important stuff happens outside of the main buildings and that actually leads to all sorts of really interesting problems one of which is being able to slightly control who you're going to meet because you can't control really who you're going to meet in a corridor and one of the one of the conclusions i read from this diplomat who'd been working uh, in france and in germany and switzerland in the 1980s and 1990s he said the one thing you've got to learn to do is if you're hosting a um, an event you have to control your corridors and also if you're invited to one you've got to have other people controlling it for you because there are a number of examples of accidental meetings happening you've got journalists there as well if you're an important politician um, very famously Jack Straw um, was uh, uh, so he was foreign foreign secretary for the UK in the 90s and um and was at a meeting with the UN, came out where there were a load of journalists there, and along came Robert Mugabe, who was um, the dictatorial uh, tyrant um, um, 
of uh, of Zimbabwe, and he was not the person that you needed to be seen with. Um, and it became something that Jack Straw later went on and talked a lot about. And actually, the similar period, um, only slightly later, this is during Barack Obama's uh, White House, they actually structured, they used this idea of a random meeting in a corridor to structure a meeting um, between the Americans and the Iranian uh, leadership because there hadn't been a really high level exchange since the Islamic Revolution of 1979. This is 2009, it's 30 years later. But the new leaders of Iran are very uh, media savvy, they're very aware of how um, certainly the internet can be used and the images are so powerful and they decided to orchestrate a chance encounter which is a great sentence but they orchestrated a chance encounter um between barack obama and Iran- the iranian president hassan rouhani um so i thought all of that was interesting james corridors of power mm. and where decisions are made and it's actually it's got a very interesting history i came across where you have 1789 there's an english visitor to germany who describes I think with frank astonishment is the only way to put it, that at five in the afternoon, the, the German emperor goes into the corridor just near his own apartment, where poor and rich, small and great, have access to his person at pleasure and often get him to arbitrate their lawsuits. And I thought this was fascinating, um, because not only was the word corridor not then common in English here in 1789, but it, by no means would any English king at the time have such a corridor in his palace or let others, others in. Possibly it might have happened earlier in an earlier period i don't know but certainly not in the 18th century and we need to look at a, a, a later period the 19th century which is when corridors um really come into architecture so all fascinating stuff james if you're looking for plump lips that last you need to know about juvederm lip fillers with juvederm volbella xc and juvederm ultra xc your lip look whether it's subtle or bold can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at juvederm.com today that's j-u-v-e-d-e-r-m.com add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with juvederm volbella xc or juvederm ultra xc do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Oh, brilliant. I mean, I think having spent the last couple of years in lockdown online and on Zoom and in Teams and things like that, one of the things that people... have been concerned about who run institutions is what gets lost in that and what you can't replicate on the or what's really difficult to replicate is actually those you can have meetings but it's actually those exactly what you were saying it's those chance meetings in corridors and that is actually where quite a lot of business is done you know you take things outside of a meet we're back to our history of meetings here but you take things outside of 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 meetings like that and you discuss them in the corridor and it is those kind of chance meetings that i think are are so important think of corridors of power reminds me of cp snow's novel uh corridors of power and there you've got the sort of um You've got the sort of civil servants and you've got the, the, the MP trying to sort of you know, discuss uh, nuclear power and the way in which, you know, the sort of bureaucracy works around corridors and the motif of the corridors being used as a way of sort of getting things done and brokering things. So I think that's I think that's really interesting. What I was going to what I was going to talk about, though, was this sort of was the the evolution of the corridor and the sort of to start with the prehistory of the corridor and one of the things that we've been very familiar with throughout these podcasts is we've talked a lot about Henry VIII and we've talked a lot about Henry VIII's court and the privy chamber and we've talked about all the sort of the way that you might approach this the sort of great Tudor king and you would have done this in the 16th century through a series of hierarchical spaces that get you closer and closer and closer to power dependent on how influential you were dependent on how much in favour you were you could go from one antechamber into another and eventually get to the privy chamber which was the sort of sanctum of power where you could meet uh, Henry VIII your, yourself and you could discuss business with him but this is a very that's a the corridor is a much later invention so it's a much later invention than these sort of suites of rooms there you approach people through you know through sort of various processions and it's not until the late the 18th century or the sort of begin end of the 17th century and into the 18th century that we start getting the corridor as a designated space that basically takes you from one room to another. Instead of walking through individual rooms, you're able to process through this. So we can think here about probably one of the main places is Castle Howard. And Castle Howard, there's a plan that survives from the around 1700 uh, that is thought to be one of the first buildings with corridors in England at this period and there's a in particular they've got the 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 south corridor is this sort of amazing sort of uh corridor that sort of opens up uh the the building and and the rooms come off it and but it was there was some sort of difficulty with corridors first of all because they were new and there was a real concern in particular 
that these corridors would be terribly drafty places that you know they that the wind would sort of whip down them and the 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 architect behind uh, castle howard um one of them was nicholas hawksmore who writing about the the sort of importance of the the corridor um, talks about them as being quite important and his description of them you know sees them not as drafty wind tunnels and empty spaces but in fact you know they are they compose they are part of every room within the house and they they encourage people to sort of move through a space and be directed off into the correct place they themselves are these sort of great connective spaces but it's not just places like it's not just castle howard we can also see somewhere like blenheim palace uh in the beginning of the 18th century which was designed by an architect called sir john vanbrugh and he designed this new home for the duchess of marlborough you know, an incredible place she absolutely hates it hates the design of it can't understand it and he basically has to you know he writes to her and says madam the word corridor is foreign and signifies in plain english no more than a passage but she you know the, these are novel novel new things you know that they're, they're, they're seen as very functionary but she hates it so much so that she bans him from the site and he never actually visits his completed design but they are you know absolutely pivotal i mean and as i was saying earlier on in the in the introduction in the victorian period it's when you really have the corridor being domesticated so this is where they really take it to heart and we can see the the way in which corridors are used to guard privacy so it's one way in which you keep the family and servants separated so that you wouldn't actually you could live under the same roof but you wouldn't actually have to have to meet meet them um there's a book uh called by robert kerr uh which is published in 1864 uh which is called the gentleman's house and this volume is absolutely obsessed with corridors and actually all the sort of distinctions and um, one of the sort of main aims of the corridor was and i quote that that the family have free passage without encountering servants unexpectedly whatever may be their mutual regard as dwellers under the same roof each class is entitled to shut its door upon the other and be alone so you get a sort of myriad of corridors in the Victorian period that have really different and complex functions and divisions of different sort of activities. So you have corridors that take keep servants away from the rest of the family. You have corridors that are strictly for the family. You have corridors that are for guests. You have corridors that are his and hers for men and women. You have corridors that that separate adults and children if you think about the the corridors around nurseries that are often placed you know at the far end of the corridor to keep noisy children away from from parents so the corridor is incredibly sort of incredibly um important uh sort of important architectural feature connected to the family so there we are sam just a little sort of foray into the history of the corridor no, very good. And, you know, certainly do with social hierarchy. It's no surprise that the Victorians were interested in it and they, it, it ticks a lot, lot of their boxes, keeping people apart. Um, I thought it was really interesting that about, um, um, was it Marlborough's wife who didn't like didn't yes. like the design of Blenheim? Yeah. Uh, 
it, it is it's worth emphasizing here it is not an english thing right so there are there are early corridors in in uh italy particularly um and they're used to it's kind of secret places to link um uh, bits of palaces or, or or link buildings across rivers there's one in, in florence particularly that does that uh, but primarily they're spanish um so there there are, there are they are a a foreign influence on British domestic architecture, and that's always going to have certain cultural problems, um, and it's going to struggle with popularity. Um, I just want to go back briefly to what I was talking about beginning at the beginning, and, and um, talk about these uh, corridors in uh, corridors between countries, transnational corridors, and I'm quite interested in the way that they appear of interest and then disappear. So the Silk Road's a good one because um, no one was really talking about it until 10 years ago when when there were books about it, TV shows, one of mine about it. Then I did the Maritime Silk Road and the Chinese are talking about the new the new Silk Road. Um, but they have they have their own their own histories. They rise and they fall in importance. And um, not only have we got these humanitarian corridors in the Ukraine, but obviously there's quite an interesting one forming now. Um, I've never heard of the Donbass region, but now it's uh, all, all I think about, really. And Putin is trying to capture the Donbass region, and he's doing it so he can create a corridor from Russia to the Crimea. He wants to control a narrow strip of land which will allow him to um, get access to the Black Sea. And the point is, is there's a there's a port there. There are several Mariupol's a port as well. There are ports all along there, and that gives him access to the sea, which gives him access to the Mediterranean. Without that, he cannot get access to the Mediterranean. All of his naval uh, bases will be in the North Atlantic or in the Pacific. It's fundamentally important to what, why why he's doing it. It's um it's it's to do with with military strategy and being able to access another. Uh, area of sea. I thought that was very interesting the way that that has now suddenly risen into importance as a corridor and it made me think about the sort of the changing experiences of countries in relation to this. So if you take the war in Iraq and Afghanistan that's a very uh, a very interesting one. So from the 19, uh, 1990s um, when the, the, there is war in Iraq and Afghanistan suddenly you've got all of these other countries surrounding it uh, that become fundamentally important and it changes their global strategic value. And one of the most interesting cases of that is Romania, um, which suddenly became hugely important as um, as a as a country on the EU's eastern border uh, because it gave access to a corridor which would allow troops and supplies and whatever it might be in and out of uh, or towards Iraq and Afghanistan. And that then, um, it sh- again, shifted in priority as as the wars there faded and died out. And there's one other way of looking about this, about the way that, that land corridors can rise and fall in importance. It's to do with railways, which is really interesting. So you might think this is all about wealth coming to different parts of countries because railways appeared there in the 19th, cent- 19th century. And that's certainly how I'd always thought about it. But I came across a fascinating article which explained how 
railway abandonment was of equal significance. And if you think about the scale of it, so in America, so in 1916, there were more than 250,000 miles of railway routes in the States. And that dropped to um, less than 130,000 today. So there's 120,000, it's almost twice what there is today, that simply doesn't exist anymore. And so you've got a lot of... Um, of uh, uh, communities who've had to struggle with the railway leaving town, where once they were part of a wealthy network, wealthy corridors that stretched across the country, where people would come and flow in and flow out, and goods would come and flow in and flow out. Suddenly they're not, they're isolated. Um, and uh, that absolutely and fundamentally changed their own history, the history of so many communities across the States. And uh, obviously we can apply that to... Um, to, to anywhere that has railways that no longer exist, and uh, I was thinking recently, actually, about um, the you know there's an old railway route between Exmouth and Budley Salterton down near where we are. Uh, another between Padstow and Bodmin that I know of, but um, those are just small little coastal ones, and there are much more significant ones. So um, railways, James, railways and abandonment. Oh, I love it, Sam. Sam, that was such a great episode. Really good episode. <laughs> Who so enjoyable there was so on the corridors. In corridors. I know, and uh, we'll have to think of something we're going to come back to, uh, whether it be uh, monkeys or mating or something like that. Guys, thank you all so much for listening. Indeed, I've really enjoyed this episode. Uh, do please follow us on social media. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Dr. Sam Willis. And if you're interested in maritime and naval history, do please listen to the Mariner's Mirror podcast. Oh, you should definitely do that. And I'm on Twitter at James Daybell. The podcast is at Unexpected Pod. We are also on Instagram and Facebook. So come and befriend us there you can check out our all singing all dancing website historiesoftheunexpected.com and should you wish to patronise histories of the unexpected simply head over to patreon.com and anything that you can give to help us support the way in which we change the way in which we think about the past would be very much appreciated absolutely that's all for now guys we'll be back again soon cheerio take care guys bye Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.